Hello and welcome back to the Body Talk podcast. I'm Alina Jenkins and in this series we're trying to help as many people as possible with their confidence, their well-being and their communication skills by sharing our experiences and also speaking to experts as well. Now my background is as a journalist with the BBC, telling stories, getting to the heart of the message, something which is crucial for businesses to do. But it's easier said than done. When faced with a pile of statistics, data, spreadsheets, it can be really hard to find what your story is. So what are the elements that you need to bring your business story to life, to really engage and hook your audience? Well, someone who can help us with this dilemma is group business editor of the Daily Echo in Hampshire and Dorset, Darren Slade. And Darren, or Darren's job, is to find and tell stories about businesses and entrepreneurs that really connect with an audience and ultimately sell newspapers. And Darren has been a journalist for many years, so he has lots of insights and tips to share with us. Darren, welcome along. Hi, Alina. Well, my first question, actually, it's not really a question, but I know that you've always said that everyone has a story to tell. And I know that some of our clients often say, I've got nothing interesting to say. Yeah, that's that's very true. I think, you know, we all less underestimate how interesting we are and how interesting our business or our profession might might be to other people but so I, yeah i do firmly believe that that sometimes uh, you have to 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 pry a little bit and find out what that is and but but almost everybody that you fall into conversation to for half an hour will have something you know we just know in everyday life we'll have something that's really interesting about them so so yeah that's that's a big conviction of mine you should never say what i do is just it's just mundane there's not really much to tell I often say to clients, Darren, actually, is become a journalist yourself. I think you mentioned curiosity there is actually, you know, be curious and just, you know, just start asking some questions. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's very true. And, you know, I think we're all kind of, we all have to think like journalists now in the kind of social media kind of age where everybody is a is a publisher to some some degree. I think, you know, it helps if everybody has that kind of journalist's mindset. You've written so many great blogs, Darren, and one of them is is around, you know, what, what makes a great story? And so what is it for you that makes a story? What's that thing that makes you sit up and pay attention? Yeah, well, this kind of comes back to, to what is news. And a great uh, newspaper colleague, Ed Perkins, uh, I stole this thought from from him. He said, news is something you didn't know before that makes you say, crikey. And I love that because that, you know, there are different kinds of news as as well. You know, sometimes we like to read a story that confirms what we already thought about the world. But but um, I think that's the gold standard, something that somebody will look at and say, my goodness, I didn't know that. Um, so, so surprise and and uh, and pique people's interest. That's that's what you're going for. There are some businesses, Darren, which are just brilliant at doing this. They're brilliant at storytelling and you can tell and it's very, very well honed. But there are other businesses that really struggle. And particularly if if perhaps what their business is, is about is, is about data and statistics or something which doesn't lend itself to storytelling. So for, so for those kind of businesses, where would you suggest that they start to try and find that crikey moment? Yeah. Well, I mean, certainly if you're in that world of kind of data and statistics and all that sort of thing, then you're probably sitting on some fascinating stories. You've probably got a, a view of of your industry or your specialism that other people don't have. So it's worth kind of sharing that, what they call kind of thought leadership content, isn't it? It's sharing your, your expertise. But, you know, beyond that, I think 
the key really for any business is maybe just drill down a little bit and kind of whatever your first instinct is to share as a, as a story, maybe just think a little bit more about it. So, for example, you know, if your story is we just hired this new person and they're terrific, then maybe think, well, that, that's fine. That's kind of bread and butter stuff. But think a little bit more about what does he or she know? What strong opinions or strong insights do they have that might actually be the more, the more interesting story? And the same if, you, you know, if you're up for an award. Well, that's, that's great. But was there one singular thing, one achievement that, that, um, that got you that award? Because it may be that the moment of going up and collecting the trophy is the thing that speaks to you and your colleagues. But there's actually a, a bigger story that you could be sharing with the wider public there. You're kind of the middleman in some ways, aren't you, Darren? Because I imagine that businesses initially are going to be trying to get in contact with you because they want you to tell their story in the in the wider press. And that's going to be in the form of a press release. So I'm just wondering if you have any tips on what you think makes a good press release, because I'm sure you probably get bombarded daily with lots of emails of all these press releases. And probably I would think three quarters of them get dismissed straight away. So what are some of the mistakes that people make when when sending you a press release? Yeah, I think a lot of it is indiscriminately sending the same thing to hundreds of people, you know, and I think, and that that tends to be a mistake even made within the the public relations kind of industry, that the same thing will go to a database of hundreds of journalists with no um, indication why it's relevant to the person who's receiving it. So from the point of view of of us in the, the regional press, the big thing is to just make it clear straight off why it's relevant you know that it's a Hampshire company or a Dorset company or what the what the you know and if you're sending it to a specialist you know maybe it's not a regional publication but you're you're sending it to a you know a technology specialist or something just make that that reason for its relevance very clear um beyond that I think probably the, the the things that most go wrong are not putting the the strong news angle right at the beginning so that the busy journalist kind of going through scores of emails spots immediately why this is the uh, the, the the good story that that it is you know so so it helps if you maybe think about the the subject line and you know the top paragraph or two just so that the journalist doesn't have to read 200 words to get to the the thing that that is most interesting there's a risk that you're going to get become the victim of the kind of zealous use of the delete button just out of you know busyness so so yeah flagging those things up so that they become obvious in the first few seconds of, of looking at your release what, what you've just described there, Darren, of course, is the headline. It's the thing which hooks the audience and, and gets them to want to read more. So let's have a discussion about that because that's it's, it's the key thing, isn't it? Particularly in print journalism is that headline. So what, what are your tips for thinking about headline? It's a thing which, which a lot of people really struggle with. They might have the story, but they don't have the headline. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And sometimes the approach that we take in print is different from the approach that we would take for an online headline and might be different again from what we might need from someone sending in their, their story. So uh, so the story that, that we're publishing might have a headline along the lines of 
you know, here's the business that's opening its 50th site and, and has created 500 jobs or something, something like that, which is, which is great. And that probably would, would do you as a, as a headline for your, your, your press release as well, as long as perhaps flag up the, the, again, the relevance to the journalist receiving it, you know, things like place names and so on are actually really helpful for the sender to put in their, uh, in their, their press release right at the top, even though the journalist, when it goes into print, may put that a little further further down. So again, you're you're kind of you're you're first thinking about getting the journalist's attention, and then beyond that, thinking that getting the general reader's attention further on. And the headline that the journalist puts on it will will often be different for all kinds of reasons, which you can't anticipate as the as the writer of the the press release. You know, just space and and uh, you know in in the printed page, you know you're very much constrained by it. you've got to be this many characters and so on so um so, so so you know you can't you can't do it perfectly but you can sort of think like a journalist and pique people's interest yeah I, I think one of the things that I was often taught at the BBC you know is less is more is you know put, get all your initial ideas down um you know just just write and have this kind of conscious stream but then you need to go back in with a really heavy pen or the delete key and actually go just think about what is relevant and what is important yeah, absolutely. Yeah, simplify all the time. You know, you can you can have all the all the qualifying ifs and buts and maybes further down the story, but you really want to seize on that single strong message that will resonate with people, get people's curiosity, and and so on. And I'm sure that's you know doing what you've done at the BBC. That's drilled into you, I'm sure. And I know you've done weather, which must be particularly challenging in that respect, boiling down loads of data to to something that people can instantly grasp and then that's kind of what it's all about really yeah it is and i'm glad you brought that up in a way because i was going to discuss with you about how you make complex data interesting and i often relate back to my time as a weather presenter because the information that we got in the morning in our in our daily forecast briefings was all about diffluent troughs and upper vortices and anticyclonic curvature now for some people that's <laughs> going to be really interesting but for the wider audience which is what you've got to think about is is it does that doesn't mean anything and so one of the things that I was taught very early on is what does that mean and how does that almost in a way, how are people going to feel in the weather that day? And it's, it's those it's those kind of thoughts is really thinking about your audience and what do they need from this from this information rather than what is it that you want to say? Yeah, absolutely. So people want to, I suppose, at a simple level, they want to know whether to take out an umbrella, don't they? So, you, you know, it is thinking, yeah, what do people need from from this story? And then, you know. We, we can give them some more of the of the background and the data further down, but you have to distill it to something uh, something easy to, to to get. One one great idea we have in newspapers is one thought, one sentence, which basically means don't don't complicate things in the writing. You know, uh, I'm a big fan of the kind of elegant writing that doesn't doesn't look like hard work, but it is like but it is quite hard work. You know, just just. Um, explaining something simply, making the sentences simple, and then the, you know, if there is if there's a but coming, that can be a separate sentence. But let's not, uh, given how how kind of time poor everybody is and how you're competing for people's attention, let's um let's keep it as simple as we can. There's been a, quite a trend, hasn't there, Darren, for what I call corporate speak. I think you probably know what I mean by mm, that, yeah. which is just this this kind of unnecessary jargon, which makes 
the company or the person sound dreadfully important, but is is really hard to read. I often try and write in a way in a way that I would speak, and which is hard. It's harder to do than you would think, but. but it, it, I think it connects much better with an audience than this, you know, this corporate jargon, which half the time people go, I have no idea what you're on about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's, I mean, that's very, for, for, for what I do, where sometimes I will come upon a company's name that I don't know anything about. So you go to their website to see what they do. And it's full of that kind of jargon, which maybe means something to somebody in the sector, but possibly not even then it might be too, too general, but yeah, absolutely. I th- and I think we're all kind of susceptible to that because we're all in our niche and we know all the all the jargon that comes with it. So we don't always know whether the layperson understands that. And, you know, all that we give, you know, we fall victim to whatever the, the, the kind of buzzwords of our, of our sector or the business world in general kind of are. So if you can try and simplify that you know and i still get picked up on that a little while ago i used the expression um knowledge worker you know which i kind of thought was something that was that was common to everybody in business but you know a colleague says i don't don't really know what that is and you know fair fair point we can we can just repeat these things without without appreciating that someone else doesn't get that so i think generally if you can if you can avoid dressing your message up in in kind of corporate speak so you're talking about um you know asset financing solutions or something rather than <laughs> than what that actually means to you in your in your business in your in your office um so try and yeah try try and just get to what does that actually mean what am i buying or what service am i am i hiring we have um, something that we do in, in our workshops just to try and help people kind of get over that hump of kind of corporate jargon. So when when they say something, it might be, you know, a very clear statement of fact. And I say to them, OK, so what does that mean? And they go, oh, OK. And then they might come up with maybe another slight statement of fact, but actually something that begins to become more beneficial for the audience to say, so what does that mean? And you keep keep saying, so what does that mean? What does that mean? Until actually you get to the heart of, ah, okay, now I see where you're coming from. And I've just found that's a really useful exercise. Um, wherever, wherever you are, whichever business you're in and whatever content you're trying to create, just say to you, write, self, write something and then say, but what does that mean? Yeah, it's a good idea. And for those of us, you know, who've been in, in journalism, as you and I have, you know, one, one thing that, that we are hopefully prepared to do is ask the foolish questions sometimes and uh you know as and so that people simplify the the message and you know sometimes you have to speak up and say i don't get that can you explain it to a to a foolish person um and, and you know it that help and, and sometimes if you're the one who answers the asks the foolish question everybody else is relieved because some other people didn't get it either you know yeah of course, there there is the saying. I think it was Einstein who said, "If you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you don't understand it yourself." Which I think right. is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that was a, one of the one of the things I was taught from the very earliest days in journalism: is if you don't understand it, don't expect the reader to understand it. So you know, so if if a, a press release comes in that's full of jargon, don't uh, just repeat that jargon and assume that the reader gets it better than you do because you know that's kind of your job to to understand it so that you can explain 
I wanted to ask you, Darren, about something you wrote a few months ago, and it was about what we can learn uh, from the tabloids. Now, you know, love them or hate them, what you can say about tabloids, and something you've already picked up on, is that they tend to keep things simple and they write really good headlines. But I thought it was a fascinating blog because there were quite a few things in there that I thought, yeah, actually, that's really relevant to business is some of the some of the tricks and techniques that the tabloid papers use. Perhaps we can apply to our business content. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose to some degree, I was thinking of a kind of almost a golden age of of tabloid popular newspapers of a few years ago when, uh, you know, they were maybe a little less celebrity driven and so on than they are today. But they always knew what people were interested in, but they also, you know, wanted to cover important and big, big stories. But, but, you know, they were always conscious that people were busy. And, you know, traditionally, your tabloid newspaper was bought by somebody on their you know, it was just had a coffee break to read it in or whatever. So didn't want a lot of complexity, but didn't want to be shortchanged either. And so that that skill of simplifying, not wasting words, you know, kind of imagine that you're being charged by the word. So you don't want to you don't want to fill it with with waffle um, is really worth thinking about. Um, and that's why I kind of advise people, you know, kind of look at the Daily Mirror, which, you know, certainly for a long time was the kind of gold standard of just expressing things simply, often because the reporters tried to simplify things and then a sub-editor has, has done a lot of work on the story as as, as well. Uh, so So it's that. It's partly about just expressing things plainly, not wasting words. But it's also about, you know, they've got a good instinct for for their public and what will interest them. Uh, and, you know, sometimes that can lead them to, you know, all kinds of things we may or may not uh, approve of, but but they 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 put the reader first all, all the time. And it's not about generally the journalist feeling clever or important. It's It's about thinking what will engage the reader. And, you know, and the, these days with online, you can see whether it's engaging the reader or not. So, yeah, that that's kind of the, the thing to take from them. Yeah, we, we talk about this a lot, um, Darren, in our workshops. It's it's not about what you want to say. It's what does the audience need to hear? And and what are they going to get out of it as well? Because I think naturally as humans, we can be a little bit greedy. <laughs> we think, well, what's in it for me? <laughs> and if you feel that there's something in it for you, then you're much more likely to be engaged with it. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a, a lot of sense, yeah. So I think the final thing I wanted to talk about, Darren, is actually perhaps not so much about communication, but also, but more about uh, you know with, with everything that's been going on in the last year and and the way that sort of print journalism is going and, and news is where do you think business is going in in the as as we come out of lockdown and out of COVID? What have what have been some of the impacts that you've seen in the last year in your business, but also in the wider business community? Yeah, well, I suppose first of all. You know, as a business, we're learning, like everybody else, how productive you can be on a kind of remote working uh, model. You know, the technology has worked and we've put out newspapers and websites without having to be around each other at the at the office. So I guess I'm really picking up this. This may be obvious, but I'm really picking up the sense that people want to go to some hybrid way of, of working in the future, that on the one hand, it doesn't make sense for everybody to be sitting in the in the traffic jam 
just in order to report to their desk at nine o'clock, you know, or, or and it doesn't. They don't have to be at the desk to, you know, so the boss can see them to for for them to be productive. Um, so there's that on the one thing on the one side. On the on the other side, I think people are missing the the kind of collaboration, the support, the kind of informal learning that goes on. Certainly does in a in a newsroom if you're listening to how somebody deals with a difficult uh, phone call or how you know you're aware of the way people talk to each other and chip in ideas on a story and that kind of thing so we're we're missing that so uh, so i said as far as the the working world is going I, I think people will want some sort of hybrid that combines the best of remote working with the best of, of office working uh, and generally there is so much uncertainty around i think a lot of employers have distinguished themselves by treating their staff really well and making sure they're doing okay through the pandemic and i, I and i think that is a real uh that's a real thing i don't think that's just uh just 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 kind of uh, boasting and and the way managers like to speak i think many employers really have uh taken on board the the need to look after people's well-being which has been been nice to see um and i suspect some some benefits will attach to them you know beyond the pandemic from the way they treated people and the way they treated their their, their customers and their clients as well so um there's so many uncertainties who knows but you know yesterday funnily enough i went into to bournemouth for the first time in a in a while and it was interesting to go back to the routines of of you know polishing a pair of shoes and and uh, traveling into town and listening to whatever was on the radio at the time and all that all that stuff and and these things came back instantly you know these things that haven't been a part of your routine for a long time so i suspect that that the best of the other kind of old ways of working will will come back much more quickly than we maybe think they will will now but but there will be hopefully some some good changes Darren, it's been a real treat to, to talk to you today. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and tips. And, and actually, if I can recommend, if, if, you're, if you are on LinkedIn, please go and search out Darren and his fantastic blogs that you write because thank every you. everyone you do has some just, you know, really great tips. So, so thank you oh, so much for coming on the podcast. That's really kind. Thank you. Glad you liked me. Yeah. And of course, if you'd like to find out more about what we do at Body Talk, then uh, we are on LinkedIn and we have our website, ukbodytalk.com, and we're on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you so much for your company today and see you next time. Bye bye.